so here's where we're going to be for the next number of weeks. We're going to be understanding the storyline of the Bible. And as we begin, would you be honest enough to agree that sometimes the Bible can be a little confusing? I mean, there's a bunch of people named Mary, there's a bunch of Josephs, and there's a bunch of different stories that happened a long time ago, and sometimes it can be hard to put it all together and understand exactly what the Bible is saying to us. And so over the next number of weeks, here's where we're going. We're going to stop in at some of the major events that help us trace the line, the thin red line of God's story in the Bible from beginning to end. And through that, it's going to help us understand all the pieces that are a part of it, but we're going to look at those major sort of big rocks that describe what the Bible is talking about to help us understand God's big story, not just back then, but also for us here and now. So as we begin this, just to give you the goal is to understand the Bible storyline, to understand where things fit. And obviously we're not going to talk about everything that's in the Bible because I don't know, I've probably only got like two decades left in this world and we'd be here for way longer than that. And so we're just going to stop at those big rock sort of events and we're going to take a look at them to understand where God is going and what he is saying. So what's a good place to begin? Well, let's begin in the beginning. And maybe you know the first line of the Bible, and it goes something like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you look at that, I think one of the first things we have to understand, and this is really true when we try to understand the Bible in any of its parts, right? A unique book, 66 books written by some 40 authors over the span of 1,500 years on three different continents, but it tells one story and there is this thin red line of God's redemption that runs throughout and the centerpiece of that story is going to be somebody named Jesus, but it starts somewhere in the beginning. And it's easy for us to come to the Bible in any of its portions and come with our views, our perspectives, our issues, and read it through our lenses alone. But one of the keys to understanding the Bible is that this is an ancient book written by an ancient author who wrote these lines. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And it's written to an ancient audience. And so first, we need to understand what is it that they were saying to the people who lived then, not just what do we say now. And sometimes we make a great mistake in just bringing our own questions and perspectives um, to the Bible and just read it through our own lens. I heard a great example about this, and somebody said, you know, if you were invited to come to a kid's party and do some tricks, you know, some illusions, you know, some magic for the kids, and all of a sudden you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I got to be in front of a group of people, how do I learn to do that? Well, where do I go in my context? You know where I hear about some tricks and some magic? Harry Potter. And so let me just read some Harry Potter, and I think, you know, there's some magic wands in there and some things that happen, and let me take that, and I'll be ready to go at the kids' party. But you get there, how well are you going to do? You're going to be a bust, because it really doesn't talk about how any of that happens, right? It just describes it. And that's bringing sort of a modern perspective and bringing our questions and issues along with it. And we need to understand who this was and who it was for. 
And when we often come to the Bible, especially at this beginning portion, people often bring these ideas with them because they tend to be the hot issues of our day. When did this happen and how did it happen? And I'll give you a little preview. We got one chapter on when and how. The whole rest of the Bible is really about something else. And what is the something else? Who and why? Who did it? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the headline. And the why is one of the questions that seems to haunt humanity since time immemorial. Why am I here? Why is there anything rather than nothing? And if there is a God of the Bible who did this, what is the purpose of that? And does that have anything to do with me? And so Moses, writing these words revealed to him by God, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's a little bit of a literary device there. It's called a merism. When it talks about creating this and that, it means that and everything in between. So God created the heavens and the earth. That's another way of saying God created everything. God created all of it. But it's more about who and why than when and how. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void. The Hebrew words there, tohu vubohu. And that means chaos. It means a lack of control. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we think, you know, if you've been in ancient civilization class or something like that along the way, you say, you know what, there are a lot of ancient creation stories. And you'd be right. Seems like every, every culture that has ever existed has had those same questions. Where did it all come from and what does it all mean? And so there's a lot of different stories out there. And sometimes people will say, well, here's just another story that's just like all the rest. But that's not true at all. Let me give you one ancient story. It goes like this. Marduk is the god of the sky and Tiamat is the god of the waters. And here are these two gods, small g, and all of a sudden they get into conflict and they have a battle to see who is going to be the most dominant god. And Marduk not only defeats Tiamat, but fillets her body. And out of the pieces of her dead body creates all the material world as we know it. So out of this waters of chaos comes conflict and violence, and that's how it all got here. And you can imagine what kind of culture, what kind of existence would be on the other side of that, one that's probably full of some violence and some chaos, but not in this story. And into a context that people who heard a lot of different ideas and a lot of different stories about where it all came from and what does it mean, there's a God who says, no, 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 that's not how it happened at all. But there's a God when there was chaos, presided over all of that. And he did not create with violence and he did not create more chaos and he did not create domination in the ways that we understand it. But he hovered over all of it. He was in control of all of it. And then he began to create. But he creates by just speaking words, not by acts of violence. And God speaks one after another and he creates. But right now there is without form and void. And a very simple illustration of that over the Christmas season, my wife is a puzzle maniac and she did about eight puzzles. And when you first start a puzzle, it looks like this. This is without form and void. 
right? And then what do you do when you get it out of the box? Well, probably the first thing you do is you look for all those edge pieces, right? And you create the edge and then you fill those things in. And that's the way that God begins to speak. And on day one, he creates this form. And then on day four, he fills it. And on day two, he creates another form. And on day five, he fills it. And on day three, he creates another form. And on day six, he fills it. And when he's done speaking, the whole thing is filled in. And there is no more formless and void. But now there is what we know and what we understand. Where did it all come from? It's about who in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it's also about why. And so our focus on this day and really beyond is not on when or how, but on who and why. And we read at the beginning, it's God's story, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what about us? Well, we're included in it, but primarily it's God's story in which he involves us. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Do you notice there's some plural and there's some singular in there? And we're gonna come back to that in a moment. But the importance and the impact of these words cannot be underestimated. We live in the Western world that has been so heavily influenced by what is revealed to us here. And I fear that sometimes we take that for granted, but we must know and understand where that came from. What is it that governs human ethics in our day? Why is it that we would look at people and say, you know what, it doesn't matter where anybody comes from, it doesn't matter what color their skin is, it doesn't matter what their income is, it doesn't matter where they live, what they drive, or any of that, that everybody has some dignity. Where does that come from? It comes from right here. And from what God goes on to reveal throughout the whole Bible, that everybody has God-given dignity. Just one example. We have a justice system, and I recognize it may not be perfect, but we have a justice system um, that says every person has equal rights. Where do we get the idea that everybody is entitled to a jury of their peers? It doesn't matter who they are and how much they have. It comes from the idea that's shared right here. You ever seen the image of the statue of justice? She's holding scales and she's blindfolded. Why is she blindfolded? Because we don't want to be a respecter of persons and put them into the categories that our cultures often create because everybody has been given value by God. And it's male and female, men and women. And if you know anything about the ancient world, that is radical. The ancient world knew a lot about male domination over women. But here it says, who's created in the image of God? Men and women. And the God who speaks into cultures that oftentimes create all those categories incorrectly says, here's the way it is. In the beginning, God created it all, and then it gets more specific, and he has endowed everybody with God-given value. And life has a purpose, and life has meaning, God-given meaning. 
God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. You can figure out what that means. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God has created, he has filled in the puzzle and now has brought all this incredible beauty and order out of things that were formless and void. And now notice how he invites men and women to be in partnership with him. It's his creation. But he says, I'm inviting you to rule responsibly over all of that, that we're gonna be in this together. And there's an aspect in which, you know, that is to keep the chaos under control and to bring form and to fill it with good things. And so when God began to speak, he said, let there be light. And all of a sudden, there were lights and there was a universe and there were stars and there were galaxies. And the light filled in all the darkness. It says, let there be land and seas. The Bible goes on to say that he set the boundaries of where the land ends and the sea begins. He fills in everything that is under the water as well with those incredible sights um, that just make us marvel. And he created some of the most goofy looking and weird looking animals that are so intriguing and so much fun. And even down to the smallest things that have so much intricacy and complexity along with them. But there's all of his creation, right? Let there be light, let there be animals, let there be the sea, let there be everything in the sea. God just speaks and speaks and speaks. And through the power of his word, things just exist. He's that powerful. But then, on the sixth day, as the pinnacle of God's creation, God creates mankind, men and women. And this is different. It's different than everything else that he has done. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And do you see the difference? Right? God speaks, and it is. And God speaks, and it is. But here, it's more personal. It's up close. Now, Here's the thing about God. Who is God? You know, is God, you know, a person, a bigger, better version of us? Absolutely not. That would not even be worthy of worship. God is in a whole different category. In fact, God is an infinite, eternal spirit without boundaries and limitations, with an intellect, personality, emotions, and will. But here, what is often referred to as anthropomorphic language. That is giving human attributes to something that is in a different category. God gets personal. And God gets close. It's as if God takes his hands and gets down into the dirt and forms the man out of the dust of the ground and breathes into him the breath of life as if it's coming out of the very mouth of God. That's different than the rest of what God made. And it clues us in to something of incredible value that we cannot underestimate. That mankind, in God's perspective, is special, unlike the rest of his creation. Not only have we been invited to partner together with God, but there's a closeness, a proximity, a relationship 
that was established there from the very beginning. It's as if God created all the other stuff so he could fill it with this moment of something of incredible, intense, personal value to him. So what's at the peak of God's creation? Male and female, he created them. He puts Adam to sleep and takes even from the rib from his side to create woman. Some have said that's why every woman to every husband is his riblet. Um, but you can decide for yourself if you want to use that. Um, I'm going to go without that. At the peak of God's creation is mankind created to be in a relationship together with God unlike any other part of his creation. Right, mankind is not just another animal. Right, I, I love animals, love nature, love all of that. At our house, we have two Australian shepherds. They're awesome. Um, you know, are there gonna be dogs in heaven? Um, I sure hope so. Are there gonna be cats in heaven? Definitely not. Um, that's, we know that because no evil can be before God. You know they're, you know they're stalking you, right? Just fair warning. Fair warning. But unlike all the other parts of God's creation that he pronounces good on the sixth day when he creates man and woman and then he looks at everything that has been created, he says, and it was very good. Very good. What are some of the implications of what we're talking about here? Let me just give you a couple things here. And we've talked about this already. You matter to God, and it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter where you're from, and it doesn't matter where you've been. You matter to God. And God has breathed the breath of life into all of his humanity. And God got up close, and you might say, well, wasn't that just about Adam and Eve? You know, I had to start somewhere and create all of that. If you think it was just Adam and Eve, let me give you an assignment this week. If you wonder, do I matter to God? Has he gotten personal with me? Read a portion of the Bible called Psalm 139. And it talks about being knit together in your mother's womb. That God put his hands on you. And what that means is that there are no accidental children. Not in this world. There are some accidental parents, right? We, we know that that happens, but there are no accidental children. Because every one of them has experienced the closeness of a God who loves them and to whom they are special. Another implication of what we're talking about here is that you possess creativity, responsibility, spirituality. Where do you get that? Did you see the portion where it says, let us make mankind in our image? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, God is an infinite eternal spirit. He does not have a form unless he chooses to take one. But God is spirit and is infinite. We are not. So we don't look physically like God looks. So what does it mean? Well, remember some of the rest of his attributes that he has an intellect, personality, emotions, and will. And part of what that means is that we possess creativity, intellect. Have you noticed that humanity has been really good at inventing things over the years? That's a God-given attribute. My Australian shepherds have never created anything. 
They just look for food, they want to go outside, and they bark their heads off at anybody that goes by our house. But they haven't created anything. But humanity does that. Where does that come from? It comes from being created in the image of God. Responsibility. God gave rulership over his creation. And so we have the opportunity to take care of what God has entrusted to us. Does that mean we should take good care of this earth? You bet it does. It's been given to us by God as a gift. And he created it and said, now rule, have dominion and subdue it. And also spirituality. Humanity alone has the capability to be in relationship with God. Nothing else in God's creation has that opportunity, has that choice. Everything else just obeys God's will. But God's given us a will. And what we choose to do with that will be our decision. So, why creation? Why did God create really fast? Because God is relational. And boy, do I wish we had a lot more time to talk about this, but it's really important when we go back and it said, God speaking, let us make man in our image. And then in the image of God, he created them. It's singular and plural. Why is that? Because the God of the Bible is a triune God. The word Trinity is a word you will not find in the Bible, but here's what you will find in the Bible. That there's God the Father, there's God the Son, Jesus, and there is God the Holy Spirit, and they are all referred to as God. God is one and three and three and one, and sometimes people ask the question, well, what was God doing before he created everything? Here's one, I think, accurate, mind-blowing response to that. What was God doing before he created everything? He was enjoying themselves <laughs> in this relational dance that has been going on in a dynamic that we don't even understand because God stands apart from time. He has always been. And why is it that God created? Because God is relational and he wanted to share that. Those of you that have children here in this room, you know, you think of when you met your spouse, your honey, your sweetheart, and then you decided one day you were going to have kids. Let me ask you the question, why did you do that? Because have you noticed kids are a lot of work? And then they keep you up at night and there's all kinds of things to do. And then you become a taxi service and there's all these things that come along with it. Why? Because you wanted to share the love that you had. That's why. And the relational God created humanity, not because he was lonely, not because he needed people, you know, to bow down to him. He did it to share his love with us. It's because God is relational that there's something rather than nothing. And also because we were created to have a relationship with God. One day, Jesus, just before he goes to a cross, prays a prayer, incredible prayer. And he says, this is eternal life, right? This is to be in relationship with God, that they would know you and Jesus whom you have sent. That eternal life is relational. It's not just a place. It's a relationship with the God who made you, formed you, and loves you. And as we're gonna find the beginning of this story, 
gets broken. And all that God created that was so very good gets polluted, gets trashed in many respects. And what does God do? God goes to work to redeem and to restore and to invite people back to himself. What is eternal life? Is to know God. And then finally, and just seems like the logical conclusion of all of this, life is about relationships. And God comes to Adam when he is the only human being at that time. His name means human. And then he creates Eve. Her name means life. But when Adam is all by himself, um, it says, man is not, it's not good for man to be alone. And this is not just a marriage thing. This is also, you know, if we're single, we were not meant to be all by ourselves. And then God presides over the very first marriage between a man and a woman. And the God who was three yet one, one yet three, creates two and invites them to become one. And the Bible goes on to say, yeah, that's a mystery. It's a mystery how that happens. And here's a joke that kind of works both ways. You know, father comes to his son, says, son, there's two things every man needs to understand about every woman. Two things. No one has any idea what those two things are, but there are two things that every man has to understand about everyone, right? It's a mystery how all of that works. And the God who is triune and creates two to become one. And no matter who we are, it's not good to be alone. So why am I here, right? Which is the question that often haunts the heart of humanity. And based on the introduction to God's story and the first stop that we're making is the reason I'm here is to know God walk with God, live with God, and help others do the same. That's why there's something rather than nothing. That's why you're breathing in and out. It's why you have a life that has been given to you by God that has purpose and value. From God's perspective, that's why we're here. That's why God did what he did. That's why in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything else, including you. Would you pray together with me? God, thank you for the power that you possess to create something out of nothing and to create the incredible dynamic of relationship. And God, we experience that in great moments, also sometimes in this broken world, in hard moments, but God, what you made us for is what our hearts long for. And God, help us to know that no achievement is going to replace what only you can occupy in these hearts and lives of ours. We're made for you. And all the other things that come along with it are good and great. And all the achievements and all the other things. But God, help us to have the first thing in the right place. And that is who you are and how we were made for you. So God, lead us in that direction, and God, help us um, to show your love in this world in real and practical ways, and may it bring honor and glory only to you. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.